Good afternoon, Alpha Street. Happy 216th anniversary. Before I say anything else, let me express my thanks to you as a church family and to your pastor for the quality of worship that I've experienced last night and in these three worship services today. The energy level is amazing. My heart has been touched and my soul has been blessed. And I thank God for the privilege of worshiping with you. Now to your beloved pastor and my friend, the Reverend Howard John Wesley, thank you again for your kindness, for your friendship, and for the invitation to come and share on this weekend this significant occasion with you and the church family. It's been a great weekend, as I've already indicated. You told me that this service was not as restricted in time <laughs> as the earlier one was, but I can imagine that the choir who has sung four times last night, three times a day, I can imagine they are tired. And if they lack our choir at home, we don't, we don't have four worship services, we only have two. But some of the choir members, I hate to say it, but they don't return for the second worship service. They think that they don't have to, I suppose. I'll leave that to the Minister of Music to decide. But I'm delighted that I've been blessed by this marvelous singing during all of these worship services. Amen. Dr. Richardson, my colleague and my friend and brother, had to leave because of a flight back to New York but I want to again, in his absence, express my thanks to him for the two marvelous and profound sermons that we have shared with him today. We thank God for his presence and for his ministry among us. He's our friend as well, and of course, even closer to your pastor, as he's mentioned to you earlier. I thank God for the ministry that he's given your pastor and for the friendship that we share and for how he's endeared himself to the congregation of the First Missionary Baptist Church of Huntsville, Alabama. There's nobody they like to hear any better than Howard John Wesley. And we thank him for all of the worship services that he shared with us. And by the way, he preached my, what, what I want to call it, my retirement banquet. That's what it was. He, re preached, he preached my retirement banquet, and I'm in debt to him for that. And we thank God for how he blessed us on that occasion, as well as the many Sunday morning services that he's preached. 
Now, believe it or not, that's all I'm going to say before I preach. In the sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah, I read from the New International Version. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voice, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Here ends the reading of that portion of the Word of God. May he continue to bless his Word. Join me in a brief moment of prayer. Oh God, bless again as only you can bless. Take this feeble vessel of yours, pour your word through him, that your name may be glorified further in this place, and that your people may be further strengthened and edified. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I want to talk from that passage of Scripture about the church seeing God afresh. The church seeing God afresh. If the church is to continue to be relevant, inspiring, and transforming, and to be a blessing to the world, she needs a continual refreshing vision of God. If the church is to be the salt of the earth, bringing preservation and seasoning to a world headed toward rottenness and decay, then she needs to continue receiving a refreshing vision of God. If the church is to be the light of the world, leading persons out of moral and spiritual darkness, 
back to the marvelous light of Jesus Christ, then she needs a continuing refreshing vision of God. In our scripture for today, God blessed the prophet Isaiah with a fresh, clear, and transforming vision of himself. Isaiah shouts, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw God. I saw God. And so Isaiah saw the awesome God of the universe in his resplendent glory. He saw the transcendent and the imminent God. He saw the transcendent God. He said, I saw him high and lifted up. I saw him exalted above everything and everybody. I saw the transcendent God. And to further describe how transcendent God was and how awesomely holy he was, Isaiah said the seraphs in the NIV, seraphim in the King James and others, I saw the angelic beings with those six wings. I saw them in the presence of the holiness of God as they took two of those wings and covered up their faces. They probably covered their faces because the awesome glory of God was too much for them to look at. So they had to cover their faces rather than God's glory burning them to death. Then they took two more wings and covered their feet, the lower part of their bodies, because they, in a sense, felt that they were not worthy to be in God's presence in the first place. And they used the last two wings, just stand there, as one of my friends said, balancing themselves in the presence of the holy God. And God was so holy that they sang to themselves antiphonately, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Not only is heaven full of his glory, not only are all the creatures up here singing and praising him because of his glory, but the earth is full of his glory. The earth shows forth his glorious handiwork. The blazes of grass are singing holy, holy. The leaves on the trees are singing holy, holy. The rippling brooks are singing holy, holy. The tides coming in on the ocean front are singing holy, holy. The clouds bedecking the heavens and singing holy, holy. The sun and the moon are crying forth in the beauty of their beset in God's creation. Holy, holy. Everything on earth is full of the glory of God. That's what happens when you see the transcendent God. Everything around you becomes more holy, more beautiful, more majestic. 
every person begins to beam with God's sacredness. And you look upon all humanity as being a part of God's creation, made in his image and after his likeness. And therefore, I see my brothers and sisters as having sacredness in all of their personality. None of them can be disparaged and demeaned in any way because they are part of the creation of God. But that can only happen when we see God in his transcendence up there above everything and everybody. But not only did Isaiah see the transcendent God in all of his majestic beauty and all of his glorious holiness, but he saw the imminent God because God is transcendent and he's imminent and they cannot be divided because God is not divided. You see, Isaiah could talk about God being high and lifted up and seated upon the throne above everything and above everybody that angels covered their faces because of his glorious being. But this glorious transcendent God also chooses to come where we are. That's his eminence. And how does Isaiah describe that eminence? He says that, well, he pictures God as having on a long robe like the Oriental kings. And on that long robe of God, there was this train. You, you know, like the young lady comes down the aisle to get married, she has a gown, wedding gown on, and dragging behind is that train. Isaiah said God's robe had a train on it. And the train on God's robe came all the way out of heaven, all the way down in the temple where Isaiah was. And he said the robe, the train of God's robe filled the temple, which meant that the transcendent God who was seated on the throne came all the way down in his presence where Isaiah was and his presence filled the temple. Don't you like a God like that? <laughs> High above us, over us, more holy than we are, more loving than we are, more glorious than we are, perfect in all of his being, but yet he chooses to come where sinners are. He chooses to come in the temple where we need him. The train of his robe filled the temple. Now Isaiah needed this resplendent vision of the glory of God. And his nation Judah needed this resplendent vision of the glory of God. But in a particular way, they needed this transcendent God to come where they were. So that his train, the train of his robe would fill the temple where they were. Because here's what was going on. Uzziah had died. Judah, over which Uzziah had ruled, along with Isaiah, were now mourning perhaps the death of Uzziah. Uzziah is dead. Our king reigned for about 52 years, and now suddenly he dies. And when you read the writer of Chronicles, 
he, he, he died a kind of disgraceful moment because he had been a great king. He had brought respectability to Judah. He had lifted her up in the eyes of the nations round about. But he got a little sassy toward the end and decided to step up and usurp the priest's position and work and offered a sacrifice himself and died with leprosy. Here they are, Judah and Isaiah, mourning the death of Uzziah, hearts filled with grief, burdened down with sorrow. They needed a special touch. And Isaiah was there in the temple, perhaps had taken his burdens, as our elders used to say, take your burdens to the Lord, had taken his burdens and carried them to the temple. And there in the presence of God, perhaps had a conversation with the transcendent, awesome God. Maybe the conversation went something like this. Lord, now King Uzziah, as you know, is dead. And we are mourning his death. Our hearts are saddened. We are grief stricken. What are we going to do, Lord? Who's going to become the next king? Who's going to take Uzziah's place? Who's going to take the helm of the ship of Judah and lead us onward and upward? God does not answer immediately, not in verbal terms, but he does answer in what I call visual language. God said, Isaiah, you're concerned about who's going to take Uzziah's place on the throne? Come on, I'll show you. And he took him up, 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 all the way into heaven. And in his vision, Isaiah saw God seated on his throne, high and lifted up. Well, God, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to tell Isaiah that Uzziah, King Uzziah, is dead, but I am alive. King Uzziah's throne is vacant, but my throne is occupied. And as long as I'm alive, and as long as my throne is occupied, Isaiah, you can handle Uzziah's death and anybody else's death. You can handle anything that comes in your life because I have the power to help you to handle it. My dears, you and I, need to see God afresh day after day because seeing him one time is not enough. But we need to keep having a refreshing, a refreshing vision of God, walking with him morning by morning, new mercies to see, new visions to have, new touches upon our lives because that invigorates us it energizes us and gets us ready for greater ministry. Thank God that Isaiah saw God in his holiness. And thank God that you and I can see God today afresh in his holiness. Have you ever met God in a special way and he was so majestic that you became mesmerized by his majesty? That you, as this choir has been singing today in such a moving way that when they get to that part about 
omnipotent and omnipresent and almighty and alpha and omega. I just want to bow. I raise my hand because he is awesomely holy. He is resplendent in glory. He is mesmerizing in his majesty. And I just love to be in his presence. I just love to be around God when he's manifesting himself. I just love to be empowered by God when he is dispensing his power to his children. It's an awesome experience. And we need it day after day. We need to have a continued, clear vision of God because here's what happens. Because of where we live, because of the culture that we are part of, that culture is often cloudy and hazy and blurred in its vision of God. And when we rub shoulders with them and rub elbows with them, as it were, if we don't watch, our vision will begin to dim and become like theirs, cloudy and hazy and blurred. Listen to this. Is it a cloudy, hazy, and blurred vision of God that allows our president to stoop so low as to call human beings SOBs and call African nations S-hole nations? Is it a cloudy, hazy, and blurred vision of God that allows right-wing evangelical preachers to become parrots of the president rather than prophets of God? Is it, is it that the prosperity preachers have a cloudy, hazy, and blurred vision of God that they always preach prosperity and leave out the other part of God's word? Is not God's word bigger than prosperity? Sure, he gives us prosperity. And they love to talk about just the prosperity aspect of God. They love to talk about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, I love to preach about that too because I believe it. They love to preach about he'll heal all of our diseases. I love to preach about that because I believe he's able to heal all of our diseases. They love to preach about he'll supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. I love to preach about that too because that's true. But there's another side to it. It's like what my friend said to me one day. He said, Julius, an old lawyer told me many years ago, no matter how thin the pancake, it has two sides. <laughs> what they misunderstand, what the prosperity preachers misunderstand is that the Paul who said, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus our Lord is also the Paul who said, and we glory in tribulations. Tribulations means afflictions, hardships, difficulties, adversities. We glory in tribulations because tribulations produce patience and patience character and character hope. 
If the church is to have character, she has to be balanced in her vision of God because God does not make us on flower beds of ease. God does not make us eating spiritual peaches, cake, and ice cream, but he bakes us in the oven so that we can come out hardened like pure gold. He takes us through afflictions in order to make us to become the kind of children and disciples that we need to be. You remember this morning I quoted you the song by Andre Crouch? They, they need to hear that afresh. I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions about tomorrow. There have been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave blessed consolation that my what? My trials came only to make me strong. God trains his children often in the university of adversity. One of the things that you can remember as a church that during these 216 years, God has brought this church through adversity and he's trained this church through adversity. You were not back there, nor was I, nor was Pastor Wesley. But when our forefathers and foremothers were in slavery, they turned to God. And the only way they could handle slavery is to find freedom in Jesus Christ. I read a story a few weeks ago about this slave who went through great trials and tribulations. And here's what he said. He said, I was mad at every white man that I saw, every white person that I saw, and I wanted to kill every one of them. But when I found Jesus, found freedom in Jesus, he said, Jesus set me free. And even in slavery, I felt sorry for my slave master. Only God can do that. God brought them through slavery, the adversities of slavery, and they learned how to sing. And, Reverend, and Dr. Richardson mentioned this this morning, uh, just this after, excuse me, early this morning. They sang, I've got shoes. You've got shoes. All of God's children got shoes. When I get to heaven, I'm going to put on my shoes and I'm going to shout all over God's heaven. Now, when I was in high school, I thought that was pie in the sky religion. You know, pie in the sky, by and by religion. But as I became older and started studying the Bible more carefully and started studying theology more carefully, I saw something deep in that song. Here's what they were doing. They were in slavery. They weren't going to get out immediately. They knew they had to master it, so they reached up to God and allowed God to give them strength of mind 
strength of heart, strength of soul, and because of their vision of God in present and in future, they could sing, I've got shoes, you've got shoes, all of God's children got shoes, you don't want to give me any shoes, sir. You want me to work for you barefooted. But I want to tell you, in the face of what you're trying to do to me, I'm going to defy what you're trying to do because I've got a God who's strengthening me on the inside. And even though you deny me of my privileges, my rights, even things as small as clothes and shoes, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to pull God into my present misery, into my present experience. And when you try to mess over me, I'm going to sing right in your face. I got shoes. You got shoes. All of God's children got shoes. When I get to heaven, I'm going to put on my shoes and I'm going to shout all over God's heaven. I'm going to take my eschatology and pull it into my present and make it become what we call extensual eschatology. I'm going to make my relationship with God work for me right now and show you that right now you're trying to press me down. You're trying to crush my spirit. But while you're trying to crush my spirit, God is lifting me up on the inside. He's defying everything you're trying to do to me. And I'm going to show you I'll sing no matter what you do to me. I'm going to keep blessing the Lord. That's the kind of Christianity that carried four parents and four fathers and four mothers in the early days of this church through slavery, through Jim Crowism, through all the other adversities they had to go through. And my dears, you and I, when we face our critical times today and our critical issues today, if we want to be fortified, we need to have a fresh vision of God. For that fresh vision of God will energize us to handle any kind of problem that comes up. Sickness, death of a loved one, financial conditions, bad relationships, whatever folk throw at you, when they drive you against the wall and your back against the wall, you can trust in God. And like the psalmist says, he'll give you strength to leap over walls and run through troops. You can do that when you allow God to give you a fresh vision. Not only do we need to continue to clarify that vision so that we can see God afresh day after day, but when we clarify that vision and see God in his resplendent glory, in his awesome holiness, day after day, then he allows us to see ourselves. He becomes a mirror for us to look into. And so when we look into the mirror of the righteousness of God, we see ourselves. And when Isaiah saw himself, what did he do? He cried out, woe is me. NIV said, I'm, un I'm, I'm ruined. King James says, I'm undone. And I live among a people who's undone. 
I'm messed up, they are messed up. But you see, when you see the holiness of God, you always will see the lowliness of man. For you can't stand in God's presence and try to match God. Every time you look at God and see yourself in the mirror of God's righteousness, you come away like Isaiah in 64th chapter saying, my righteousness compared with the righteousness of God looks like filthy rags. But you know what? Even when our righteousness looks like filthy rags, God does not walk away from us. He's there to help us out. Julius, are you telling the truth? Listen to the text. When Isaac saw God in his holiness, in his resplendent glory, in his mesmerizing majesty, and he cried out, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm ruined, I'm messed up. Guess what God did? God said, angel, here's what I want you to do. Go over to the altar. Take the tongue from off to the altar. Lift up a coal, a live coal of fire. Touch my prophet's lips and tell him that his iniquity is taken away. His sin is forgiven. You see, God knows how to come to our rescue. He knows how to meet us where we are. And even though he's transcendent and holy and righteous and pure, he never gives up on us. He's always pro-man, always pro-woman. He's always for his children. Jeremiah said his love is an everlasting love. Hosea says he won't give up on Goma. No matter what she's done and where she's gone, God says, I'm going to take her back. I'm going to make her my own because I'm God and not man, the Holy One of Israel. Yeah. Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm messed up. But God sent the angel and the angel took the live coal of fire and touched his mouth, healed him, made him whole. And after Isaiah had been touched by God and made whole, Here's what he says. He said, then I heard the council talking. And they said in the council, whom shall we send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. I'll go. Well, whenever God touches you with his holiness, with his brilliant glory, whenever he touches you with his special touch, your life will never be the same. You can sing with the hymnist, I was shackled by a heavy burden beneath a load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I'm no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And all oh, the joy that floods my soul, something happened. And now I know he touched me and made me whole. Every once in a while, you and I need a fresh touch from God. 
I can't face the world tomorrow and you can't face the world tomorrow without God's fresh touch. You can't face folk in the White House who want to disparage you and demean you and cast you down and cast you out without a fresh vision of God. But when God gives you a fresh vision, you're able to handle anything that comes your way. You can stand like Obama and be cool, calm, poised, and collected. You can stand like Martin Luther King Jr. in the midst of racism and bigotry and love and just keep on loving and keep on writing about the beloved community because you know in the final analysis God has the last word and because God has the last word no matter what they do down here God's gonna make it all right. I close as I tell you this in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. They were persecuting Christians, they were burning them in fire, they were throwing them to lions, they were banishing them to penal islands, and it looked like the church was going under. But Jesus Christ met John in a vision, and John saw him exalted and elevated in that vision and he said I am the Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end the first and the last and then he showed John what was going to happen he showed John and when that seventh angel blew the trumpet John said I, I heard an angel and the angel said and the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ and he shall reign forever and forever Caesar may be on the throne right now but our Christ is gonna reign forever and forever and somebody said you ought to call Handel and tell him to start playing the Messiah and get to the hallelujah chorus quickly and sing and he shall reign forever and forever forever and forever forever and forever nobody can stop our God and what else do you have to say Julius I take my seat as I tell you right on King Jesus right on the conquering King no man can hinder thee no man can hinder thee right on Won't you stand if you're able?